She dreamed of a translucent moon, round and up high in a china-blue sky, and a yard full of blowing white wash in the wind. A reward, she acknowledged, awake, her toes now on top of her husband's. A reward for some obscure metaphysical transaction well done. Claire slipped out of bed and went down the old stairs, glancing at the ballroom-sized closet she'd spent the day before putting in order. She stood still at the bottom and surveyed the quiet floor. It would never look like this again, cleared of the children's toys, smelling of the fruit she'd arranged in a bowl on the table, and the Murphy's oil soap she'd massaged to a glow in the wood. The still unsettled squall of dust she'd churned up in a frenzy lingered in the stained glass air. There it was, the housekeeper's tidy universe, infinite and miniature. She yawned and stretched. Claire went to the kitchen and put the coffee water up to boil. She sat down on a stool by her lamp with a big tobacco-stained shade. If there was no morning sunshine in her kitchen, blotted out as it was by the canopy of evergreen, she at least had this core of orange warmth she'd invented for herself. Claire held on to that warmth for a moment, enjoying it before the others woke up, before the day would formally begin, before Isolde would arrive and take the joy out of all of it. Isolde Dunnerwetter would strew her expensive luggage all over the house and disapprove with a glance of all Claire's fine efforts. She'd make that puzzled smalling of the eyes that imagined, boy, what I would have done with this place. With similar eyes, Claire noticed the piece of pottery on top of the baker's rack. It really was a little too fussy. What she needed was a simple piece of pottery. Claire wrapped her old terry cloth robe more snugly about her. It didn't matter what Isolde thought, she wouldn't let it. They'd bought this house Claire and Johnny had, expecting to stay for a short while and then move on, out to some more suitable neighborhood. Only now, happy despite themselves, despite an overwhelming third-world immigration, even in some cases because of it, they lived very comfortably, thank you very much, in their plush and shady old house. There were benefits to hundred-year-old ramshackle dwellings, front porches, back porches, cavernous cellars, and big, dusty attics for children to hide and go seek in. Claire had, at last, the enormous kitchen she'd always dreamed of and never would have been able to afford if they'd moved somewhere more appropriate. They had a great deal of property for the area, and without the drain of high taxes so many of their friends had to put up with. Friends who'd moved away to more idyllic, safe neighborhoods, to which they would certainly reply, Right, but you've got to pay those killer private school tuitions. You have to die from something, Johnny would snort and shrug. He liked to be near Brooklyn, and she liked to be near the city, so it worked out all right. There were 27 full-grown trees in their backyard. It was a good two lots, one opening onto Kew Gardens, the more highfalutin neighborhood with access to the woods, but a shortage of parking spaces, and the other resting in the dowdier but charming Richmond Hill, where you could park wherever you pleased on the roomy potholed streets. What used to be a barn now served very well as a three-car garage. The broad, sloping hill in front of the house looked clear down to sleepy Myrtle Avenue. It would be quite something one day when they got it fixed up and all that Pachysandra pulled up and grass seeded in. It was as close as you could get to the country in the city. Already she had the backyard almost perfect. Claire padded softly over to the window and looked out. She leaned against the cold sill, 
and watched a robin make his dour way through the snow-creased mud. Just give the grapevine another year or two, and they could move the picnic table from under the pines. A nice bottle of that homemade red wine from Johnny's Italian precinct, Sergeant, and some fresh mozzarella from Suino de Oro on Liberty Avenue. Well, these were the pinnacles of any summer evening. Then she could have Johnny move that, whatever it was, that old thigamajig statue off to the side. She would put in a pattern of climbing blue slate in a trail up the side of the steep viney overgrowth. When she got hold of some nice old blue slate, she would.